If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, east of Eden. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. East of Eden is what I've called this sermon. Many of you are familiar with the book East of Eden by John Steinbeck. A uh, great novel. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm not an advocate, uh, or nor do I endorse her in any way. Uh, but Oprah says this is her favorite book. And um, so uh, whatever that means, I just thought I'd tell some of you women that that means a lot too. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it is an interesting book, and it kind of is taken from Genesis chapter 4 and tells the story and, in his version of kind of his own life, Steinbeck's own life, and it's a story that he addressed to his two sons, and he draws some analogies and some parallels from this chapter here. East of Eden is used as a term we see at the end of chapter 3 as well as uh, toward the end of chapter 4. is almost an allegory statement of what it means when you move away from God, to move away from a holy God, uh, the God Jehovah, Yahweh. And as we look at this, we will see the story of Cain and how it starts off simply as his self-centeredness and manifests itself in the sin of anger and ultimately leads to the destruction of his emotional and spiritual life and that of his physical life of his brother. I remember when I was growing up, one of my favorite shows on television was The Incredible Hulk, a guy named David Banner who was a scientist and who had... Uh, been doing some experiments, and long story short, when he would get angry, he would turn green and big, and he would beat up all the bad guys. Uh, sometimes he would hurt a good guy too, but he was so enraged, and I remember he would make this statement, uh, and uh, I think it's so true of us today, but he said, you would not like me when I'm angry. The real truth of it is, is we probably wouldn't like you when you're angry either. Most of us aren't very fun to be around, much less pleasant, when we become angry. Now, there are different types of anger that are listed in the Bible. And I want us to be reminded that when we look at Scripture, there's really, Scripture can be placed into two broad categories. First of all, there is what we call descriptive Scripture. And I realize some people disagree with me, but I just think they're wrong on this one. Okay, there's descriptive scripture, which describes an event or an occasion or a situation. So, for example, when Cain kills Abel, in no way would that be what I call prescriptive. In other words, we're not supposed to emulate that behavior. When David has uh, Uriah the Hittite killed, we're not supposed to mimic that behavior. It is descriptive of what has occurred. Prescriptive would be, for example, as we saw the passage, James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That is an example of prescription. In other words, God said, this is exactly what I want you to do. Or this is what I don't want you to do, i.e., the Ten Commandments. Here are things I don't want you to do, or here are things that I do want you to do. Those are scriptures of prescription, and then there are passages of description. This morning we're looking at how this story is described and how it is shared with us. We know this was a narrative. We know this is a story that was passed down for 500 years. And Moses, 500 or 600 years later, whatever the time frame, we can't give an exact amount of time, records the story and records it on paper, uh, so to speak, um, and later on, we see it passed down and becomes part of what we can, would consider the Holy Scripture. 
as Moses gave them the law, the first five books of the Bible, uh, he did so from the story that had been passed down and then through revelation that God had given, and I believe it to be infallible. And so, but as we look at this story right now, this ancient story, so to speak, if you want to call it that, I believe there are some things that we can glean, both from a descriptive and a prescriptive method. Certainly, as we look at the types of anger, there are several that are described. One would be that of sudden anger. We see that occurring uh, throughout scriptures when people get angry all of a sudden. Matter of fact, uh, David in Psalms 3, 7 says, uh, Lord, I wish that you would come and break the jaw of my enemy and break their teeth. Now, I don't think that's a prescriptive uh, prayer that God wants us to go around praying for people, okay? But David is simply what we call, as a matter of fact, those are called imprecatory psalms. They're psalms of anger. He's just being honest, and he's just kind of spewing out to God what he thinks. And in this particular instance, he's writing it down, and he's recording it in his journal or whatever he was recording it in. And so we see sudden anger sometimes appears. Secondly, there's sometimes this righteous anger. We know when Jesus was in the temple, that was righteous anger. We know in Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, Jesus demonstrates righteous anger because the Pharisees and the Sadducees are telling him he can't heal on the Sabbath. This is an example of righteous anger, anger that is justifiable, anger that should be expressed in in certain settings in the right way. And then number three, we see sinful anger throughout Scripture. Sin that is driven or anger that is driven by hostility or rage or jealousy. And that's exactly what occurs here in Genesis chapter 4. There was a man one day who had a tremendous problem with anger. And his wife had had to deal with it for years, and she kept saying, we need to go to a counselor. And he kept saying, I don't need a counselor. There's nothing wrong with me. And finally, she said, well, you just go with me. I need to go. So they went into the counselor's office, and they got to the counselor. And as they walked in the door, this man said, I want you to sit right here, very sternly and very commandingly, commanded her to sit in the chair directly across from the counselor. And he got against the wall and stood there, and he said, my wife needs counseling. She needs help. And so the counselor looked at the man. He looked at her. He goes, you may be right. Do you mind if I have just a few moments alone with her? So the man said, of course. And so he walked out the door. And after he closed the door, the counselor looked at the woman and said, how do you live with this guy? And she said, well, every night I clean our bathrooms with his toothbrush. You see, we may think our anger has no impact on our lives or upon those around us, but just because we don't see it and we don't notice it doesn't mean it doesn't have an effect on us. So it's true here in the story of Cain and Abel. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 4, verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, which is a Hebrew play on words, which means acquired. Uh, Cain is the one who's been acquired. And so she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to her other to his brother, Abel, which means vapor. And some translators even say it means weakling. So here is Abel, the, the weak one or vapor. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. 
Uh, we don't know why it worked out this way. We don't know if they chose it, if Adam chose it for them. But for whatever reason, Cain is the farmer and Abel is the shepherd. So we see their occupations are given here. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn to the Lord. Now, I remember growing up as a child and I used to frequently wonder, I don't understand why God didn't like Cain's offering. I mean, if he was the farmer and Abel was the shepherd, doesn't that make sense? So why would God not favor his offering? Well, there are several reasons that we can imply here. And, and one, some, some folks have interesting said it's because it wasn't a blood sacrifice, that God commanded a blood sacrifice. But we really don't have any reason to factualize that. We don't know that that's correct. First of all, there has been no reference of a blood sacrifice, unless you want to say 315, where God provided an animal skin. But there's certainly, as far as we can tell, that has not been commanded at this point. Uh, that comes later on. That, and that sacrifice, quite frankly, was a covering, an atoning sacrifice. The word atonement means covering, to have your sins covered. And that's why Jesus, of course, was sacrificed on our behalf. That's why animals were sacrificed at this time. But this is not an atoning. This is not a forgiving of your sins sacrifice. This is a worship sacrifice. This is a sacrifice of thanksgiving, of worship, of recognition of the glory of God, of thanksgiving. So as he comes, I don't believe that to be the case. But I think there's some clues that we can gather. You know, the Jewish Talmud tells us, and that's not a uh, that's not a documentation that we would ascribe to or give any uh, credibility, at least from an inspirational fact. But the Talmud is a historical interpretation for Jews of the uh, of, of the Pentateuch here. And it actually says that Cain's offerings were uh, were expired or were very, very small. In other words, it was the scraps. It was the leftover of the crops and it wasn't anything that you would ever give someone. It, was, it had no little or no value or meaning. Now, whether that's true or not, here's what we do know. We know that they're not specified in any positive light. And then as we look in that next, passage, that next part of the verse right there, we see with Abel, it says that he gave of the fatling, of the fat of the meat. Now, that word fat in our vernacular is not good. When we go and get a steak and there's a lot of fat on it, we go, what's the deal? There's fat all over this thing. But right there, it's saying the choice cut, the very best of the meat is given. And it says of the firstling, of the firstborn. Now, the firstborn, uh, and matter of fact, you can go back and we could do a sermon on the first fruits, uh, the gifts of the first fruits. But the firstborn was considered to be the primary blessing. Matter of fact, the firstborn usually got at least 50% of the inheritance, and it was the one in which favor and power was esteemed upon. And so the firstborn is a sign of blessing. It is to be regarded as, as the best, as we see throughout, particularly in Old Testament Scripture. So we see that Abel is doing two things. First of all, he's giving of the fatling, of the best that he has, and of the firstborn. This is the very best that he can offer. So Abel is giving of his very best, and at a minimum, Cain is simply offering what he has, uh, not the best, or we don't have any indication or any scripture that indicates that it's of the best that he has. We have every reason to believe that at best it was something that was just average. It was just something that he had. Almost the mentality is we're going to a party and we go, oh, I need to get something. I'll grab something out of the cupboard and bring it. So that's kind of the picture that we see developing here. 
that Abel has given of the very best that he could possibly give, but Cain simply gives of perhaps his excess. You know, I was thinking about this when I was studying this this week. Um, We see as we move on that uh, God receives with favor the offering of Abel, but not the offering of Cain. And uh, so we see the first instance of history here of someone getting mad about the offering here. You know, it doesn't take very long. And it seems like today we're not that much different. You know, you want people to really get angry, start talking about the offering, start talking about giving, start talking about what kind of sacrifice are you making. And, uh, boy, that's that's sure to light somebody up. I'm sure to have the opportunity to drive somebody out of the church, at least for the few weeks that we're talking about it. And it's so funny. We think we're not that much like Cain and Abel. And we think, oh, you know, if I'd been Adam and Eve, boy, we'd still be in the garden. No, we wouldn't. I promise you we wouldn't. You know, Cain and Abel, I would never be like that. Oh, and tell me you've never, if I got up here and just started reading, uh, I started reading a passage, uh, I started reading The Rich Young Ruler, I started reading a passage specifically on money, tell me there's not something in you that didn't go, hmm, I don't know if I like this one, where is he going with this? I mean, there's something that just is an eight in us that just kind of lights us up. And here we are, right at the beginning of man, dealing with the offering, and Abel's, are, and Abel's given, Cain didn't give up to speed didn't give up the credibility, and he's already angry. So it didn't take long. We're just a few years into the history of man, and we're already mad about the offerings here. So the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain, his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and downcast. He's mad. And why is he mad? Because my offering has not been received in favor. God realizes I could have done better. God knows that I didn't give this out of the goodness of my heart. It's simply something I did because it was probably asked of me. And so I throw my token before him. And his face was downcast. We see the picture here. Abel come bringing the best, bringing of his first fruit, so to speak, of his firstborn. And we see Cain just giving of whatever happens to be there. And we see Cain with his head down in a spirit of downcast, the Scripture tells us. But it only makes me think that Abel had his face toward God. He could come in complete access with a good heart and a sound mind and a sound heart. The Bible tells us actually in Hebrews 11:4, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by faith he was found righteous when God spoke of his offering. So we know from the New Testament as well as the Old Testament that Abel came in a spirit of faith, in a spirit of thanksgiving. So we see there we see the lesson that we can glean right there of bringing the first fruits, of bringing a heart of worship with an attitude of bringing God our best. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? God gives him the opportunity. Why are you so mad? I mean, you're the one that was the cheapskate. You're the one that came with the wrong attitude. Why is your face downcast? And let me give you a prescription right here. I've just described where you are. Now let me give you a prescription. It's very simple. If you will do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you and you must master it. God tells Cain, here you go. It's very simple, Cain. Do what's right. 
You know what fright right here? Confess. You know what, God, I didn't bring of my best before you. You have blessed me with this harvest and I brought you of my leftovers. I recognize that and I want to correct that. I want to ask your forgiveness. But what does he do? He becomes angry. And what is it? It's a spirit of jealousy, of competitiveness. It's not so much that he didn't do what was right. It's that someone else did what was right. And that makes me look even worse. And man, that makes me mad. I mean, it is anger sin. It is sin that is anger. You know what I mean? There's no two ways about it. There's not a righteous motive in his body with this anger. He's jealous. He's embarrassed. He's competitive. And God says, do what's right. Let's fix this. Let's resolve this. But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. That's basically a euphemism for the enemy who would be at the foot of a, of a fortified city waiting for an opening, waiting for somebody to leave a crack in the door that he could sneak in. And that's the picture that God's drawing right here. Evil is waiting at the doorstep. It's waiting outside the door, waiting for you to just leave the door open enough that it can come in and manifest its destruction. But what does God say about that? He says, it desires to have you. That word desire, and matter of fact, it's it's kind of a play on Hebrew words, but you must master it. It's the same word that God commanded Adam to rule and have dominion over the earth. It wants to rule you, but you must master it. You must rule your temptation. You must rule your anger. Your anger is going to eat you up. The jealousy, the self-centeredness that's reigning in your heart, it's going to destroy you. Fix this. Address this. Or it will come in and it will metastasize. It will ultimately kill you. But again, Cain chooses not to take the heed. And he chooses to harbor this within his spirit and to think about it and to hang on to it. And now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then we see when sin has its way and has been fed, it gives birth to death. And that's exactly what has occurred here. Death has occurred. Then the Lord said to Cain, once again, for a third time, I'm going to give you the opportunity to confess, to come and bring this before me and to make it right. And the Lord says, where is your brother Abel? Isn't this interesting? God did the same thing with their parents just a couple chapters earlier. Eve, Adam, where are you? And then what did they do? They did the same thing that Cain's going to do. They start pointing a finger and blaming. And say, hey, it's not my responsibility. Matter of fact, Cain's asked here. And he goes, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? Well, actually, he really was. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. He said, uh, God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Well, you know, the woman you gave me. Adam's pointing at And then Eve's going, the serpent. The serpent did it. And they're both pointing fingers, not taking responsibility. And then you see the children responding in the same manner. And here we are in verse Ten. Then the Lord said, what have you done? Once again, God directly asked him. He is confronted. He said, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse 
and are driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wonder on earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Even at the end, even after he says, God lets him know, look, I know. I know what you've done. Your bl- the blood of your brother's crying out. You know what Cain says? Oh, God, that's just too much. That's too much. You put too much on me. Has God put anything on him? What is, you know what God's done? He's extended mercy. Instead of death, he's saying, I'm going to give you life. It's going to be a hard life, but those are consequences of your sin. And what does he do? That's too much. God, you, that, you know, you never really were fair to me. Seemed like, seemed like everybody always liked Abel best. And it's like he can't deal with the reality of his sin, and he's going to deflect, and he's going to talk about me. It never becomes about worship. You see, when we have a heart of worship, our focus becomes on him and upon us being right. But when our focus is self-centered, it becomes upon us and making sure we get what we ought to, ought to have and what we think we deserve. There's a classic difference in mentalities here. Abel comes with no expectation of what he will receive, but wants to give, wants to worship. Cain is here to check it off his list. What are five lessons that we can learn from the life of Cain? I believe there are five important lessons we can glean. Number one is very simple, as we see in that first verse, in that first passage. God wants our best. The offering is called the manah, the Hebrew And it simply means this. It means the offering of thanksgiving, the offering of worship, bringing that offering of worship. You know, Jesus makes a reflection upon this when he's at the temple and they're seeing all the great leaders give all these amounts of monies into the receptacles that are set up there in the temple, in the outer courts of the temple. And he sees this little widow come and she puts two mites. And Jesus says, that's worship. That's giving because she's giving of all she has. She's giving out of her heart. See, the rest are simply giving offerings of Cain. But here's an offering of Abel. And Jesus is quick to point out it's not about the amount. It's about the heart of the giver, the sacrifice of the giver. As we move on, we see, secondly, That God offers us a way of escape. When sin, whether it be anger, whether it be jealousy, whether it be whatever our addiction is, God always offers a way of escape. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When tempted, He will provide a way out. God comes to Cain and says, Cain, do what is right. Let's fix this. Let's correct this. He gives him time after time. But you know what Cain does? Cain tries to hide one sin with another sin. He tries to cover it up and it causes him to have to go deeper and deeper and deeper until sin has clutched his heart. When we get angry, it's usually because we think, I'm not getting what I deserve. This is not fair. This is not right. Someone else is getting more than me. I was in the line and look at their plate. They've got more meat on their plate than I have. More popcorn in their bucket. 
I live a better life and look at the house they have. Look at the car they have. Their kids are acting right. Their husband's acting right. Their wife's acting right. And we start to play that game. And that's when Satan knows that he has us. That he started to capture us. When our anger starts to become centered toward people. It starts to become about vengeance. and starts to become, I don't want to forgive. I don't want it to be fair. Then it's turned to that anger of sin. And we've chosen not to take the way that God has provided out. Our actions are an expression, number three, of our inward thoughts. <clears throat> James 1.19 tells us, Be quick to speak, to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. There's a good prescriptive scripture that you want to memorize right there. And I'm not even giving you the whole verse, but if you just memorize that part, you'd be doing well. Okay? Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to anger. So when I have those situations where someone comes against me and they wrong me, or they stand up to me and they're not right, you know what the Bible tells us to do? Listen. First step is listen. Listen to what they have to say. Listen to why they're saying it. And listen. Secondly, be slow to speak. Reflect for just a moment. If you're like me, you need to reflect right there. You need to shut up. That's what you need to do. Man, I don't know a better way to tell you than most of us, when we get that boil going, we just need to shut up. And that's for me. I mean, this is one of those sermons that's for me. You just get to happen to be a part of today. And, you know, we learned in our marriage early on, I finally convinced my wife pretty early on, that when I get that angry, I just need to be quiet and we need to just leave Ron alone, okay, until I can get control. So when I do that face, stop, it's not healthy. Nothing beneficial will come out of my mouth. Nothing. You won't be happy. I won't be happy. The neighbors won't be happy. The pets won't be happy. No one's going to be happy. <clears throat> so the best thing I can do is just shut up and be still for a moment. And just kind of regain my composure. Hey, I bet you a lot of you guys are the same way. You think, but I'm going to say everything I want to say. As Chuck Swindoll said one time, he goes, you know, one time a guy made me so angry, I decided to just give him a piece of my mind. Unfortunately, it wasn't a piece I could afford to give him. And thirdly, he's slow to speak. Think about what you're going to say. Before you say it. Before you let it come out of your mouth. How do we do this? Well, first of all, one of the ways that we learn to slow our anger is through confession. Confession to God. I mean, you need to confess to someone else necessarily, but to confess to God when you feel that rage coming on. God can handle it. You know, uh, last week uh, we had Tanya's share of the anger that she's feeling. Her husband died a few weeks ago. You know what? God's big enough to handle that anger. When you get mad, I think God would rather us just be honest with Him than to try to stuff it down or pretend like it doesn't exist. God's big enough to handle it. And confess your heart before Him. Secondly, I encourage you to slow your anger by focusing on Scripture. The one that I just gave you is an excellent one. James 1.19. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Slow down and wait and invite God to work in your heart and to soothe your rage. And then recognize the blessings that you have. 
think and consider before you go speaking, before you go exploding, the cost that you may have to pay. And will it be worth it? Will it be worth it for your spouse? Will it be worth it for your children? Will it be worth it for your job? Don't let that sin that's crouching at the door that wants to creep in exploit you. Fourth point, sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sins will find you out. When we explode, when we let our anger get uncontrolled, it costs us. It can cost us in our job. It can cost us friends. It can cost our children marriage. It costs us physically. Our stomach begins to keep score. Socially, people start to not want to be around us. Emotionally, it affects the way that we think. And spiritually, it costs Cain deeply and dearly. It costs us and it costs him his testimony. It cost him his brother. Sometimes it cost us our brothers and sisters. Maybe not physically, but emotionally and socially. The same can occur with us. So the last lesson that we learn from the life of Cain is that consequences do not equate repentance. Consequences do not equate repentance. Just because he received a consequence of his decision We never see repentance. We never see confession. Some of us, because we had something go wrong or because things went bad, we think that's the repentance. Not necessarily true. Sometimes it's just the consequences of our decision. God encourages us to do these things. Don't just cover it up. Sin always has a cost. Don't cover it up. If there is an anger or a bitterness that you're harboring, then confess that. Begin to deal with that. If you need to go to a counselor, if you need to go before a few brothers and sisters and say, I need some accountability, I need help, then do it. Confess what is in your heart. The Bible tells us in James 5, 16, to confess your faults one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Healing from hurts and pains, from angers will not occur till we become honest and we begin to handle it in a godly manner. Number three, choice. Take God's way of escape. Recognize that He will always offer a way of escape. Reflect, restrain, and remember. There's always a choice for you to make. It's the story of the old Indian chief who one time a young boy came to him and says, Chief, how do you know what the right decisions are? How do you know how to determine what is right and how you will respond in certain situations? And he said, well, in my conscience, there are two dogs One dog is a good dog. He is healthy and he's friendly. He's obedient and he always wants what is right. The other dog is wicked and ravenous. And he always wants to hurt. He always wants to uh, get even. He always wants revenge. And he said, well, how did he decide which one of those dogs will win? The one unto whom I say, sick them. So is true for us. As God told Cain, you must master it. It is the emotion It is the decision and the choice that you choose to put your energies and passions and time into. If you want to hang on to anger and foster it, then it will surely grow and it shall surely expand. If you want to rid yourself of it, then you have to confess it. You have to deal with it, repent of it. If necessary, get help with it. And remember, God wants our best. Abel was able to look up. Cain found himself looking down. 
I remember when I was growing up back in Louisiana, we had a little farm, and one of the things my dad loved to do was to go hog hunting. And he would literally go out and catch wild boar and wild wild sow out in the woods. And uh, we would drag them up to a clearing and then take them to a pen uh, at our home. And then he would fatten them up and he'd either sell them or or we would butcher them. I remember one time, I was 13 or 14, he decided it was time for me to catch this. It was time for that that pig, uh, that hog to get cut. And he said, I want you to go in there, I want you to catch it. And then I'm going to get in there and I'm going to help you and we'll mark it. And uh, I was scared. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to catch this stupid pig. And he was only probably, whatever, 40 or 50 pounds. He had two small tusks. They were just almost teeth. And he couldn't really hurt me much at this point. But I was scared. And so I get in there, and I've got this rope in my right hand. And I noticed there's a two-by-four where we had been building fence. So I picked that thing up, and then I switched hands. So I have a two-by-four in this hand. i got a rope in this hand. I keep trying to throw that rope on him. And I'm not even left-handed, and I'm getting nowhere. And on top of that, there's a little shed in there, and he kept running under that shed. My dad said, catch that thing. Man, I've been out here ten minutes. Catch that, catch that hog. And I said, Dad, I, I can't. He's underneath the shed. Every time I try to, he runs under there. He said, all right, I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to run him out. And when he runs out, you catch him. Okay, all right. So here I am, you know, rope in one hand and the board in the other hand. My dad runs him out. My dad comes running over, and that hog comes running at me. And I swung with that board as hard as I could. And that hog stopped, and I kept going. Crack. I hit my dad in the leg, and I hear him scream, You broke my leg! (laughs) And then he invited me to come over for a conversation. And we began to talk. And all of a sudden, I wasn't afraid of that hog anymore. I had no fear of that hog. Matter of fact, I caught that hog in about ten seconds. I had caught that hog, and I had him roped up. You know why? Because I had a much greater fear of my father than that hog. All of a sudden, that wasn't that big a deal. I didn't need a log. I didn't need a board. I didn't need anything. He, he was really no threat. But I had made him much bigger than he really was. And I chose to feed that fear and polarize me to the point I did nothing. But once I realized that the real problem was right here, here's a real fear you ought to have. Your father is going to make you wish you had caught that hog real soon. And so all of a sudden, I, didn't, I wasn't afraid anymore. I had the right motivation. And I put my energies and my passion where they needed to be. Today, God is saying, sin is crouching at your door. And he longs to come in and master you. But you must rule over it. And you'll do that when you get serious enough to confess, to repent, and to take the step needed to deal with your sin. Whether it be an addiction, whether it be anger, no matter what it is, we can deal with that. If you allow me to come in and work through you, work through the body of Christ, and work through the resources that I have provided question is, will you take the time and the energy and the effort to do it? That's my challenge to you this day. You need to come for prayer. I invite you to come. You need to come and talk. I invite you to come. At this time, let's pray. We're going to have a time of communion in just a moment. But before you come to the table of God, if there's sin you need to deal with, then I invite you to confess that and to repent of that, to get things right with the heart of God right now. Dear Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this wonderful invitation that we can know you and we can know your forgiveness. That, Lord, we can master the sin through the help of your Spirit. Lord, if we will make that choice, 
And though it be hard, though it be difficult, we know that greater is he that sent us than he that's in the world. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that you will meet our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So today, Lord, we confess, we repent, and we recognize. Lord, if there's someone who needs to know you, I pray that you would draw them to come today. In your name I pray. Amen.